Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here. I'm going to let folks in. There's still folks arriving, but thank you for being here. I'm so excited to begin this webinar. I am really excited because there's there's a lot of things being said. I mean, how many people out there have heard things said about carbon or CO2 that you kind of had like almost a knee-jerk reaction to going, huh? Wait, what? And it didn't quite add up. Especially the part where like you can't do anything about it other than like get rid of your car and buy this car. <laughs> really? Seems like there's someone making car sales there. But what have you guys seen? Share in the chat. What are some common th threads in, in the mainstream media about carbon and CO2, things that you've seen? Let us know. Great to see Brian McLeod here. Hey, Brian, good to see you. This is a very special community. This is a community that wants to understand how things really work. They want, they're curious. They want to know for themselves. They want to be able to verify. They want to be able to make things better. They want to be able to know that what they've done actually is making things better. You're part of that community. And it's we're growing things, but we're also developing our eye. We're becoming better scientists, better citizen scientists as we work in our garden, as we work on our farm, as we work in soil, composting, biofertilizer, microbes, all of the above. I appreciate you all for being here. I know that we always have a diverse crowd. We have people who are have been practicing for decades and decades. We have people who are just starting out. So I, I, I tie everything together, though, and I start from the beginning a lot uh, because so many of the way so many of the ways that we've been taught things have just been encoded wrong. They've been described wrong, backwards, partially, <laughs> truncated, edited omitted. Yeah. So we have to make some transparency happen and give people keys so that they can drive around and see what the, what things are actually like. And we have to give people the actual principles at work so that they can do the interpretations. They can respond to the feedback loops of nature in situ on their site, uh, whatever it may be. Whether they're doing compost or they're doing a balcony or they're in a garden on a farm with thousands of acres, this will scale. And that's what leading from first principles gives you. And so most of us have not been taught this way. This is how I teach. It's be, <laughs> we got to blame it on permaculture, <laughs> going down to those, those principles and then using them as lenses to examine what you're doing and why and how it affects everything, that holistic perspective. Uh, once you get it, you can't take it out. And so I, I've been applying it to soil. So let's do some screen sharing here. Thank you all for being here. I'm really excited. This is big. This is something that has been told backwards uh, in a disempowering way. The, the, the story, the real story of carbon is one that you and I are part of in a regenerative way not in this disempowering way where we need to get machines that suck in the carbon and da, 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 and then make the billionaires more money and then allow them to continue polluting. And then we focus on carbon instead of the pollution. Huh? Huh? Yeah. 
So let's get past all that. Let's break all that down and understand the power of carbon. Because by doing what they're doing, a lot of people are swinging the other way. Have you noticed this? They're swinging the other way and they're going, no, carbon, you can have carbon. Da, 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 da. And, and there's like this, this, there's either all these consequences that we say there are and you must do these things or there's no consequences. And so let's actually listen to the soil. Let's actually listen to the plants. Let's actually listen to the feedback of nature itself. Okay, and then let's partner with it and harmonize with it, align ourselves to it and our systems to it so that we're part of the regeneration. That's what we're talking about today. So we're going to be partnering with the carbon cycle. So right off the bat, what is carbon? I remember, you know, I was like, this is going to be chemistry, right? Oh, dear. You know, when I first heard people talking about carbon, you know, 15 years ago. And the fact is, it is the linchpin. And the the word linchpin, someone like thought the thought it meant something terrible. The linchpin is the the center spoke pin of the wheel on the first wheels ever. So linchpin, and it originally was with an I. It changed over time as words do, but that word is as ancient as the wheel. So. <laughs> So just so now, just, you know, that word is ancient and that's what it means that brings it all together. It's that piece that ties everything together and allows us to move. That's carbon. Carbon is the linchpin. It is the thing holding the wheel on the spoke that allows us to have all the other expressions. All organic matter is connected to this. So if you have living organic life, that's carbon as the backbone with hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. And they'll have different numbers. The X's just stand for like a variable. So it can be like any sort of number. But this is, this is literally how we create all the different things that are us, that are the organic world that we know. So what is soil organic matter? SOM, as a lot of people abbreviate it, it's the same thing. Soil organic matter is breaking down organic material that was once living. It's all it is. So what's the carbon cycle? Looks like this. I know it's a lot of information. We're going to dig into it together. Remember, you got the replay, so you can go over this at a later time. I'm really excited about this though. So let's look closer at this part. Notice that photosynthesis through plants leads to soil organic matter. That's really important to recognize. Photosynthesis creates soil organic matter, long and short cycle carbon. That's where all the topsoil, all the organic matters from animal, insect, microbe, plant life. And so it all makes soil organic matter. The fungi do, the, 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 all the actions of the microbes created too, is they break things down into smaller pieces, allowing for more decomposition, allowing for more creation of soil organic matter. But did you notice this part? 
So, so this is the part that everyone's talking about, right? They're talking about the human activity, the fossil fuel usage, and fossil fuel is fossilized organic matter. So it once was living, so it can be cycled back in, okay? So CO2 released seven gigatons. Now, you know, if you, I was recently watching a recent movie and they estimated the range at 35 gigatons, okay? Um, when did I release 85 gigatons? Okay, annually, way more than we do. And correct me if I'm wrong, haven't we been killing the soil fungi with tilling and chemicals? For, well, I mean, this is why we have kissed the ground out there. That's, you know what I mean? We have all these organizations, Rodale and all these people focusing on no-till because we've killed the soil fungi. Elaine Ingham wanted higher fungal numbers because we've killed the soil fungi. Yet that number is, is pretty new. So what's going on here? Because it does kill the fungi. It's bare soil, deserted soil, disturbed soil, desertified soil, the desert, arid areas. We are making it oxidize and alkaline when we're mixing the air into it. The carbon is bonding to the air. It's being oxidized. The pH is going up. This is literally the Fenton reaction. This is well understood. Bare soil oxidizes. Photosynthesis is the opposite. This is why we have to cover the soils up and keep photosynthesis going as long as possible throughout the year. And the lower the soil organic matter, the faster this happens, the more, the more, the deeper this goes. So it's a protection that gets burned up as this reaction occurs. And so notice how it oxidizes into CO2 and, and, and the nitrogen's lost too. And so we are bonding oxygen. Now, oxygen is a liberation of energy, right? Did you know that oxidation causes cancer? Did you know that? I'm just a side note, right? Pretty random. But oxidative stress, inflammation, and cancer, they're linked. And this is like really well studied. A diabolic liaison, oxidative stress, and tumor microenvironment, and metabolic, metabolic reprogramming, okay? So oxygen is incredibly important to have in the right amounts and in the right places. And so we're oxidizing our soil and it's destroying our soil. Oxidative stress in the body is linked to cancer. Seems like we're, our bodies in the soil, there might be some old stories somewhere, you know, in different cultures all over the world talking about how we are deeply related or come from the soil. Because we technically do, all things do. All things come and go from that soil organic matter using those same carbon chains. And then let's look closer at oxygen. Let's look at it for a moment. Recognize um, that the algae and kelp and plants are photosynthesizing throughout the year. And evergreens are not photosynthesizing in the middle of winter. So in the middle of winter, the terrestrial biosphere, they're, they're, they're not producing oxygen. So it's really the oceans. So it swings throughout the year. It's wild. So, so it's something that 
folks don't think about very often to flip it the other way, to think about the oxygen, because all that CO2 needs O2 on a planet with less and less photosynthesis. Have you guys, you know, tuned into this? The ocean is running out of breath. The Earth's atmospheric oxygens continue a long slide. This has been going on for about the same amount of time that we've been doing tillage because we're just we're about, we're combining the air the oxygen from the air with the soil ripping out the carbon from the soil and instead of them being differentiated we're muddying them dust bowl is when it gets really oxygenated and loses all structure but this is all a sl sliding scale and all a range of the same thing so this is something that's it's in nature i mean this is this well well studied and this is also part of the reason why there, we're leaking atmosphere and our atmosphere is shrinking on our planet, uh, leaving people to fear that our planet uh, is turning into a Mars. But it all comes from the fact that we killed the soil and you need the differential and the battery to create the charge that creates the atmosphere. Once you understand redox, it all becomes very fundamental. And over 90% of the West Coast kelp forest died in the past few years. Remember, they found like 60 or 600,000 like gallons, like in these big uh, barrels of it off the coast of Santa Barbara, DDT. They found these pesticides in these barrels. Um, you wonder why these, the, 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 these things happen? Those things happen, right? It's terrible. Uh, and also the warming of the water, right? Of course. Um, but again, we can restart the upwelling and fix that. We all we just have to we've suffocated the soil with what I mean the waterways and the coastlines with what we've done with the um the runoff from our lawns from our ag where we handle stormwater and the turbidity all of it. There's an easy way to fix it, but let's go back to this. The canopies of the ancient forest were hundreds of feet taller than today's surviving remains. And by the way, did you guys know that? It takes 20 years for a new forest that you've just planted to stop from taking, to start to giving and sequestering carbon. Yeah. They're takers for the first 20 years. And so all this, oh, we just replanted it. Bang, bang. That's, that's malarkey. Um, we, we needed those, those tall, those giants, those 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 unbelievable forests that some of us can go still visit, you know, the redwoods. There's some still standing, but they're remnants of what was the norm. If we want a stable future, we need photosynthetic capacity to draw down all the excess carbon. And the return and the return of soil fungi means we have increased CO2 release. Right? Of course it would. But if you have that canopy in place, the CO2 is heavier than oxygen. Of course it gets trapped in situ. It gets absorbed right there by the plants. It never leaves the forest. So this idea of, of fungi, and fungi is dominant and predominantly in the forested areas, the older the forest areas, 
they were there in such a dominant level, but their CO2 release never reached the ice cores. So the reality is we cycled way more carbon when we had way more photosynthetic capacity and it all happened in situ. So it looked like we had less CO2 in the engine, but we had a bigger engine. So we were more efficient at, at handling it. So if we want a stable future, we need to bring back photosynthesis. We need to bring back the plants and animals and nature. And then we need to, we literally need to, to, to bring back the soils and the soil fungi because they're the ones that are going to actually sequester it. And I know I just said that they release it, but they're the ones that sequester it. Not really the plants. The plants do it with the fungi and the fungi encode it. So, so it's like really important to recognize that. So when we'll get into it right now. So we can't just plant plants. We, we can't just build living soil. We have to do both. We must bring back the carbon and the energy. Wait, who am I? Well, I started off just like everyone else. I was a New England child, you know, and I, I just grew up, a, you know, typical kid. Uh, this is the part, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with America, it's the kind of the rhino's tip of America. And I was a ski racer. And I just love skiing, but I had knee surgery when I was 16 and started doing music. And I just thought music was the best and that's all I would ever do. And I got to play with some pretty incredible people. And then I met my wife. We got married uh, 19 years ago. Uh, and, uh, this is me and my, uh, my, my, my band leader at his, his, his wedding at, he married Rachel Ray. And so, um, it was a pretty incredible time. You know, I got to travel all over the world, play all these incredible shows, uh, with, with John, Rachel Ray's husband. And in that time frame, we had our firstborn son. There's, there's a reason why he's such a, uh, an incredible guitarist. Cause this is him. Uh, before he's even, this is around 12 months, I think a little bit before 12 months old. And you can just see, you know, <laughs> I was playing guitar all the time, bass all the time. So, uh, you know, she doesn't go, <laughs> he's like me. Um, but in that time period, when our son was about one years old, my wife got cancer and it changed everything for me. It changed what I focused on, changed my values, it changed the way I focused, changed the you know, way I approached life. And the doctors, when I asked when it would be safe to be around the baby, every doctor gave me a different answer. Three, six, nine months. Three to nine months is very different. And then this is the time period where it was like, oh, it's safe to be around about three months, but the garbage that you have, no one can touch for six months. And so I'm like, what? <laughs> because if it goes to the dump, they'll literally be able to tag it on the way in. And they'll be able to see that it was her radiation and track it back to her. So incredibly um, wild time. I just felt like the doctor were gaslighting us the whole time. And then lo and behold, the she got another form of cancer right after she did this other radiation to remove her thyroid. Um, uh, they ablated her thyroid. Um, it's a destruction. Uh, uh, and so she was radioactive. And I, at that time period, I stopped trusting doctors. Uh, I mean, they came in in a suit with a box, opened the box and scurried out of the room. My wife's not in a suit, 
She's got to open the inner box and then eat the thing inside it and then come home. Huh? Huh? So it kind of broke my trust of those people. And it began a journey of me doing it myself. And part of that was, was having to lead that life. So I was a, I was a musician. I, I, I did that work. I, w I loved it. But when my wife prayed about it, she got the answer that we needed to leave and go recover with her mom in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, what? Huh? If you're in Central Valley, California, I lived there for you know almost a decade. I know it's not the middle of nowhere technically, but to a New Yorker, it was the middle of nowhere. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I realized and recognized um, that that this was going to be very hard for me. And I became a teacher in order to pay for healthcare. I left the music industry eventually. I tried for a little while. But, you know, playing Native American Indian casinos when they don't even look at you for six hours of playing the bass straight and you're like, look at me. Look at me. I am human. Like, you have like a weird existential crisis. And you're like, why am I doing this? So I became a teacher, much happier. Uh, and at first I was like, you know, bringing the guitar and being like, here, kids, I play guitar. I'm cool. You know what I mean? But then I became like a, a, an actual teacher. Uh, and I started mixing uh, other things in, not music, but but seeds uh, and permaculture. And at the on the home, home front, we started trying to grow our food, started practicing permaculture. This, this swale turned into this. And that's me there uh, in the center right there in the back. Uh, and it just shows you how tall it is. It really was pretty wild. And then you have an incredible um, story here. So I was able to grow without any watering red Aztec spinach by just throwing it on the ground. And this was 140 degrees soils. So it grew in that soil because I understood permaculture timing and the history of the plant. We had another son in this time period. Cancer kept coming back. And it was very hard to have more children. And we had to change. We had to do things differently. And food was that number one variable I could control. I started doing permaculture. I needed the best food. Permaculture was a solution to all my problems, but it wasn't fully calibrated. You know, I had to do more work. So I started creating the curriculum and digging deep myself. And I created this curriculum. And I did the Kickstarter for it really to showcase to my students what was possible. And it went viral. It went all over the world into multiple languages and schools, colleges, stores, and libraries. I became a speaker, traveled and helped people all over America. Started working with people all over the world. Wrote 24, uh, I released over 24 different publications in the past eight years. I'm a now an author, educator, entrepreneur, soil expert, seed farmer, and family guy. And I'm a citizen scientist too. And all I've been doing is building a bridge to the regenerative future, working on that academic and economic real world skills to go into that future so that we can all have an ethical, regenerative contribution. And we can get paid and have our economy be something that we know is good and feel good about it. Like, oh, well, this, my business does this and uh, this stabilizes that. And you know, our watersheds are protected and, and enhanced by the work that we're doing. You know what I mean? 
like, let's do it. So that's me. That's I'm Matt Powers. So let's go back to photosynthesis for a second. So photosynthesis, whether we got to differentiate because on land and water, it's different. On land, we get to vent off the oxygen. So it's an imbalanced equation. That's why it builds up an energy. That's why the protons build up. And so remember pH is hydroxides and, and, and protons, H plus, right? So it's either oxygen pulling away the energy or the H plus giving energy. And if it's all happening in the water, tend to balance each other out, right? But it's not the case with plants. So this is typically what people know. This is what's kind of gone around. And the reality is uh, this is happening, but 90% of those exudates get reabsorbed. So they, like an anteater's tongue, but it's liquid. They let out and then suck it back in. And we'll get into why and how here in a second, but most people know that there's exudates being released by the plant roots. Uh, they're mostly carbonaceous, but there's a ton of things they release. And bacteria and fungi feed upon it. Protozoa feed upon them. Nematodes feed upon the protozoa and everybody else. And all the manures from that stimulates and feeds the plants. And so this was popularized by Dr. Elaine Ingham. And the idea here is that the plants put out these exudates for what they want, and then they get what they want, and then it comes back to them. But this takes a while. See all the steps? Your plant roots, if they're a vigorous grower, they're already past this. This already happened. This is like the roots have passed this area where they would absorb this um, uh, more most actively. So this is why there's like in the rhizosphere, we we have to apply the physics and the timing to these understandings and then look and prove it out and show that these things are happening because the history of this happening will absolutely feed the plants. So you doing a cover crop and having this flush and, and conversation happen for me doing the microbes and then planting into that, all the manures will already be there. So yes, it will. So timing the physics, you know, the actual physics of where the root is and how the root exchanges and everything, it, this all plays into it. And so we can't like not apply that understanding because we'll get tricked. So photosynthesis right now, we have to understand that it's those, they're feeding those electrons and those, those, those protons are literally electrons, right? They're, they're energy, the protons. And so they're feeding the soil food web, they're energizing them. And in supercharging the, the actual organic matter, my son doesn't realize I'm live. So um, the organic matter is where all that energy gets stored. And if your plants are not photosynthesizing properly, they oxidize the soil. They re release hydroxide. So the pH thing happens right here and right now. We want to do the thing on the left, the reduce. We want it to build up an energy because just like with a maglev train, when you have the energy built up, you create these 
relationships that allow nutrients and, and ions and molecules to travel kilometers and also to travel within plants, you know, using the same exact energy and water in a relationship together to transport molecules from root to the tip of the trees, the leaves in seconds. The carbon cycle plus photosynthesis equals the energy and carbon drawdown system of the planet. So when they're like, we can do a machine that'll draw it down and turn into fuel for cars and we'll just burn it again. Uh, uh, that's like a Mr. Burns plan. Like, let's block out the sun, right? From The Simpsons. Remember this episode? Yeah. You know, it's certain episodes are edited out from Disney Plus. You may not remember them. <laughs> so, um, yeah. This is like a Mr. Burns plan to, to, to do a machine instead of actual in nature because we need the energy in the soil so the atmosphere holds together. Plants are solar panels. All the plants are drawing down energy. They're the original solar panels. We just have a solar cell. Do you guys know what plants actually look like under the microscope? They look like glass. And if you're like, wait, I have a microscope. I'm lighting from below and it doesn't look like that. Yeah, you're lighting from below. Start lighting from above and the side and find that sweet spot angle, okay? And then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're all little glass greenhouses. Yes, yes, that's what plants are, literally. And they're green because it fills up with chlorophyll. Okay, so did you know the primary net productivity of field corn, which is the Billion metric tons of carbon per hectare is 400 times more than the annual increase. Let me say it again. The annual increase in carbon is taken down into the soil 400 times over every single year. And then they till it up and gas it off. How about that? Pretty rough, right? Pretty rough. This has been known for a while. Okay. So, but then, but then they got gaslit and then they got totally fooled and they were like, yeah, we'll do no till, but you spray it down at the end of the season with Roundup. And then they did, and they all did it all over Iowa, Nebraska, and they just like soaked the soil and, and, and they did no till, but it was kill. So it wasn't no kill. We need no till that's no kill, right? Um, and so, um, we need to be introducing crimping. We need to be introducing, um, a we just need the, 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 the air seed driller, all these technologies that are, that are, that are pretty darn common now, um, and available everywhere, but not common knowledge. They're, they're commonly available, not common knowledge, not common practice, but we need to talk about it, get it out there, get people understanding we can bring it all back and it and it's a, i mean it will change the way we heal fundamentally you guys know hyperbaric chambers a hyperbaric chamber uses high oxygen levels to heal you of wounds that you cannot heal they are using this to heal like necrotic like limbs like people have like limbs that are rotting and they, they can't stop it. Okay. They're using this to heal, like, like things that are unhealable that they can't reach, like people's hearts. They're healing their hearts of, of, of physical damage because you can't heal the heart. You know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Can't heal your eyes. But they're using 
the hyperbaric chamber, which is high oxygen, like the world we originally came from and evolved in. That's why our ancestors would be fighting wild animals. And it, it wasn't magic. People back in the day, like you get a scratch and you get an infection now, don't you? What's up with that? Our ancestors didn't have that. Our ancestors would get a scratch and it would miraculously heal in hours or, or overnight. Why? Because they were stronger than the microbes because the earth was just covered with like verdant, abundant life. So it was pumping oxygen at us at such a high level that we were doing like hydrogen peroxide all the time in the air on our rooms. And it also kept the air clean. Like literally, it would it would be like oxidizing like pathogens and other things in the air. So we, were, we just weren't as sick. And we didn't stay sick. We get injuries and we we were we were like heroes of old physically because we lived in a world that was designed for us to be dirty, to get wounds fighting, you know, tackling a pig and getting, you know, cut by a pig in the mud and in the dirt and in the subtropics. And, you know, like, how did we evolve if it wasn't for that kind of advantage? Because now we get a little cut. And right. Yeah. And this is the science that you don't see. This is the science that is just being held back. And we need to give plants enough sunlight, i.e. space, for their roots to get big enough for all their leaves to get sunlight. We want all the leaves to get sunlight because <clears throat> those roots are conductors. Those The solar panels need their light because we are either reducing or we're oxidizing. We're either building soil or we're, we're killing it. Remember, the Fenton reaction is oxidizing. The plants, when they're stressed, are oxidizing. When they don't have enough light, they're oxidizing and killing the soil. This is why they start performing badly and something kills them. And then you have to replant the pH and EH. They're related, but most people have no idea what they are. pH is the power of hydrogen. Most people think of it as this, this very linear thing, but it's the hydrogen cycle. And so when you see what plants do when they're stressed or plants do when they're happy, you realize, oh, whoa, this is the primary way that they're working. And this is why you look on the left they're, the tip of the root is the most acidic. It's releasing protons. That's why it's acidic. And it gets the nitrogens. Okay? That is vegetative growth. Now, look on the anions. The older the root hair is, the more alkaline it is. Meaning, when those root hairs are old, the plant is closer to reproductive, fruiting. And that's where the phosphorus is. The plants know they have a clock. It's built into their physiology. And if we understand the way that plants actually work, the way that soil actually works, the way that cycles work, we can partner with them. We can align. And this more acidic, more alkaline relationship is quite dramatic. It aligns directly to dry and wet. So you put in those permaculture water harvesting earthworks and you're going to flip things. And if you're like, wait, didn't I remember the beaver people telling me that two to three states worth of surface area of water was in the United States 200 years ago? So in other words, the size 
of all of Utah, the size of all of Arizona and the size of all of Nevada worth of surface water. They were saying like either two to three of those states. Th that was how much surface water there was. America was acidic and wet. So all the people who were native plant people, please go to that as the default. We want to be the the primeval, the 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 way the indigenous people were managing it, the way the animals were managing it, you know, the, the beavers, the way they were managing it. And it's like we have to like work with them and the patterns that sustained and built the abundance that that we know of. That was the peak abundance when it was managed by the beavers, managed by all the animals and all the trophic cycles, and then stewarded by all the different Native American peoples in all their different ways. Because it's just like people are people, Native Americans are people are people too. And so there's so many different stories, so many different cultures, people doing it better, people doing it worse, people ignoring, people changing, all that too. I don't want to like box anything, right? But my point is we have working examples. We have the things to do, and we have the science now. So what is EH? EH is the other part of the XY. pH is one leg. Did you guys know this? Yes. pH is one leg. EH is the other, and it's millivolts. It's the electricity. It's the energy. And so when you liberate energy, it's oxidizing. That's why it's redox, and it's reduction is adding energy. I know reduction, you're reducing the soil. I thought you were shrinking the soil, not adding energy. The chemists have a reason for it, but let's leave it to them, you know, to confuse things. But huh, I made handy pictures to make this all understandable. Um, and, and we really want to find that ideal zone. We can go too far with everything in life, in the soil and plants. We can go too far. They love a sweet spot because then they can determine, oh, yeah, they can determine what they want when they want it because they do have discretion initially and and it they do have discretion over like what they're releasing to get those minerals they don't have discretion when it comes to the microbes initially they put out a shotgun blast of exodus and whoever shows up shows up and then depending on the answers they get from that they modulate and respond specifics to those microbes, whether they be rhizobia, mycorrhizal fungi, all of the above. But it's important to like disambiguate that because a lot of people just like lump them all together and that's not very useful. All right. Uh, so, so this is the thing to recognize. The EH and the pH together show us, oh, that's why I thought that would be available and it wasn't, oh, that's why when my soil is dry, it doesn't matter or oxidized. It doesn't, and it, it doesn't matter what form of nitrogen I put on. It turns into nitrate. We have to recognize that the sweet spot is, gives them their pivot. So they get to choose and pull and from the rhizosphere. They'll make things really acidic. They'll make things really alkaline. Remember though, every micrometer, it can change three to nine pH. We're always shaking things up and averaging it they have control and discretion and it's really around the minerals and the chemistry. <laughs> uh, there's indiscriminate, like kind of like attacking of the biology. Um, and uh, we'll see that now in a little minute, but check this out, check this out. 
So there's corrosion rates for everything and they differ. Some of them are crazy. Some of them are very linear, but it makes a difference. So redox. Um, wow. James and Michael Whitman have both called me during this. Uh, oh, Michael, I will get back to you. Good, sir. So redox. Redox, like I said before, is reduction in oxidation. That's where the word comes from. Our world is oxidized and lacking in energy. The photosynthesis is reductive. So when we want to bring energy back into the soil, we need to do photosynthesis. And plus, I mean, look, if you got nitrates going on, you need four molecules of water for every nitrate molecule. So you are literally eating up your water resources. It's terrible. Once you get on the right side, get on the good foot, everything goes better. So you have to do the work to get there. But then once you're there, it's much easier. And then you can maintain, stay there much easier. So you got to bring in the energy and the carbon. So I hope that people are beginning to feel, because we got a few more slides here, beginning to feel like, hey, carbon is way cooler than this like evil thing that people have been saying. I'm made of carbon. Hey, exhale CO2. Carbon is essential to everything. It's the fuel that's going to actually balance everything out and build our soils. And so if they're going to cheat us of that carbon, which they stole from the soils and put in the air, and then because the way they did it, was they just destroyed all of our soils. Uh, they're just, just it's, it's, it's abuse what they're doing, making a machine that we have to pay for, and then they buy the fuel and then the taxes and what? No. No, 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 no. Mother Nature has a different way. She's got it right. All right, so we need to feed the life. We need to recharge the soil and the life in the soil. We need to bring back that life. So how? Well, with healthy plants. Literally healthy plants. Stressed plants can't sequester carbon for the long term. We need healthy plants. They literally do the opposite and destroy the soil. Tilled soils cannot hold carbon or life either. We must stop over-tilling. Though you may need to initially break things up and amend it to fix things and use that tiller uh, gently or sometimes very deeply to break up the hard pan. So it really depends on the situation. I'm not trying to be dogmatic in any way. We need to do the tests and be in feedback with nature and what it needs because you may have poisoned soil. You may have toxic soil. We got to get in there and break it up and fix it and and ameliorate it because you may do a superficial top thing there and you're doing no-till, but then your plants go down. You made such good acidic soil, it goes down and then it's accessing a pocket of something terrible. It's below your no-till operation and the acidity is opening it up and I'm making it soluble. Can't allow that to happen. We gotta break it up. We gotta fix it first. So this is why we test. Um, so what can we fix? Well, let's talk about what soil is, okay? A lot of people will be like, I shake it up. This is what I see. It's clay, sand, silt, these ratios. Boom, we calculate it. But even if you don't have like the perfect ratios, organic matter and soil life can actually create the loam. Elaine Ingham loved pulling tricks on other soil scientists this way and giving them fully structured soil that was just sand and, and compost. And they're like, oh, this must be a perfect ratio. And she would just would destroy them. It was awesome. So what's implied, um, you know, 
how did the organic matter in life get there and stay there, right? It's fundamental to this, and it can be all of this, but how did it get there? And it was photosynthesis and plant roots. They are the powerhouses that give the food. Once they're gone, your soil goes into dormancy and decomposition, hopefully, because you have food put into the soil for decomposition for that winter event when that does happen for you in your climate, if that's your case. But this is the reality, okay? This is the metaphor. We have these minerals and they are the hardware. And you can upgrade your hardware to a degree. We got some rock dust and, and, uh, and biochar that we can talk about. But realistically, it's the software, okay? That's gonna transform the hardware that you get. And it's that organic matter. The organic matter is the operating system. And you could run different programs with the organic matter that you add. More fungal organic matter is going to be more perennial, more trees. And then more, more bacterial is going to be more annuals to a degree. If it's too bacterial, then you're like, we're got to we work on this, you know. Uh, and then the operators, ultimately, it's not us. We tried that and it went terribly. That was the green revolution, um, the death revolution. Uh, and we need to bring back the original operators of these cycles and partner with them, but pay close attention and, 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 and monitor them because uh, we're letting the biology back in and we need to understand that as it goes back in. And so we have mapped out, as we'll talk about, these special microbes. Silicon and oxygen mostly are what the silicates are made of. So they're different fraction sizes. That's Silicon Valley, right? Those silicates, they conduct and hold energy. And that's exactly what's going on. The organic matter is also storing that energy. So the, the, the hardware is conducting it. The soil organic matter is storing it. Soil minerals um, and compost are different functionally. So when people say, um, oh, you just need compost. You don't need soil. Just do it in the pot. Just do, do a pot of just compost. That's wrong. You need the minerals because the minerals are different. Okay. They, they, they are more structurally different um, and they work together. They're, we, we need the diversity. We need to bring it all together. We need all the pieces. We need all the partners. We need to gather everyone in for that holistic picture. The carbon or uh, carbon is organic matter. This is the other, the, the funny thing that's out there is people are like carbon, carbon. And it's like uh, organic matter. Soil organic matter is the battery. It's where all the protons are being stored. And it's actually a differential on the outside and the inside of the organic matter particles. So there's particles of organic matter, different sizes, and they charge up. And then it's wild is like the, the fungi literally like plugs into it. They'll like stab a hyphae like straight through it and keep going. And then they'll like light it up. And so they'll store energy inside the actual organic matter right there and and you can see them all forming crystals and that's another way of storing nutrients and energy uh, minerals are the hardware and water is the wiring because those crystals are literal mineralization of the nutrients and they're doing this in real time and watering is the wiring and if you don't believe me, water can conduct electricity very well. Please do not take electricity near your bathtub. Hopefully we all watch those 80s warning videos. Um, so yeah, no, 
this is really what's going on. So it's all with photosynthesis, with the energy from the sun. Is it really that powerful, you ask? Well, let's dig in. This is Saudi Arabia. My friend got brought in to work on this. He initially set up the site, the earthworks, and the design with Jeff Lawton over two weeks and then was on his own. And he trained workers, local folks that never had jobs, that were, were nomads, so that they could start working with animals again in their area because all they wanted to do was bring back their animal culture because they were nomads and they missed their animals. And so they did it. And so this is this is this is the same spot. 13, 2013, 2016. Okay. This is earthworks, perennials, nitrogen fixers, and rainwater. They only used rainwater. So nitrogen fixers, other tenacious. The biology is protected in the nodule. The excess nitrogen is released into the rhizosphere. The Bocaldaria, Brady rhizobia do that, not um, uh, straight up rhizobia, right? Um, uh, uh, or rhizobium, uh, rhizobia, the family, you know what I mean? We're talking about the general, and these are individuals. Uh, nitrogen makes our compost hot. Microbial action makes the heat. So no compost on the site, no inoculants, no fertilizers, no interventions for three years without water or rain. Think about that. Boom. The right plants, the right design, and the right timing, but it took years. It took years. I don't want to wait years. Do you guys want to wait years? Who, who wants to wait years? No one's wanting. No, forget that. We want to get moving. This is year this is season one. This is the size of what regenerative soil gives you year one with your cover crops, the first planting. First planting. And these are not like the giant special seeds you have to pay for. I went through the I did a whole video on this where I'm walking through and showing the sizes of things. Because this is just regular old heirloom from Baker Creek and uh, uh, Seed Savers Exchange. This is normal. Uh, the purple Milan, right? Purple top Milan uh, turnip right there in my right hand. You all have grown that. You know it well. We can speed things up. It's the right compost. And you may, <clears throat> this can be useful to start when you're starting out, getting things together, doing things in bulk. But this is just part of it, Okay. The types of foods that you add in determine the biology, okay? So you can have your ratios right, but you're still making bacterial. You want it fungal. You want it balanced at least, if not more fungal. So thermophilococ compost, um, you guys know this. This is like the compost that everyone knows. You're mixing the browns, you harvested once dry, the greens harvested well, green before seed, and then the manure, and you, which is the nitrogen source, and it could be something else, but then you're doing it in these layers, one on top of the other, you're watering it as you go, you're making sure that everything's damp and, and, and connected with that circuitry, that water circuitry, and then at the end, you water it until it just has a little bit of leakage, and you want it to stop, because you don't want to over, over water it and have those things watered off, and then you want to cover it and trap that moisture and let it heat up. And it's going to get hot um, if you've done it right. <laughs> um, you want it to be in this sweet spot, that range right there, 131 to 140. 
If it gets too hot, you're going to be losing too much nitrogen and too much carbon. And it kills weed seeds, pathogens, parasites, and parasitic eggs. And that can be incredibly useful. That alone can be incredibly useful because you needed to fix things. Okay? So I'm not throwing this out. Not babies of the bathwater, okay? Just, I'm just preparing you. Ah! So remember also that these things can catch on fire if you get too hot. And this happens to people. They have the chip drop arrive. They forget about it. It rains. It's hot. And then the pile is smoking. And then it's on fire. So turn it. If it goes below 131 or above 140. But does this really work, Matt? Does it really work? Let's check in with Todd Harrington, Governor's Island. So on Governor's Island, they transformed this site with compost and other things. So it's beautiful. It's really a, a victory. Uh, the, and Elaine Ingham consulted on this. And I, I, I actually heard the whole story from her. She's the one who told me about it originally, and it's in the Advanced Permaculture Institute online, and parts of it are in regenerative soil. So this is something that I, I source and talk about all the time. It's a victory for us all. But notice that it's mycorrhizae, the proper mycorrhizae was there, and it was the right compost for those, those plants, those pines. So they had to wait to get this to be right. And then they, and so they used, they, they created a native pine forest. It's absolutely beautiful. It's now a glamping site and it's restored native forest right in New York City. Statue of Liberty right there. Unbelievable, right? How about this for unbelievable? The, the glamping company's owned by my best man for my wedding, right? We saw the wedding photo earlier in the presentation. He was there. Crazy, right? We learned to ski together as, as babies. I started at age two. So, and then my, my original soil mentor, Elaine Ingham was an advisor and told me about this. So it was like, how could I not share that with you guys? What a fun story. Have you, have you ever, guys ever had something happen where you're like, hey, we know the same, what, how is this? This is unbelievable. It's one of those. But wait, all the hot compost I've tested has been alkaline and oxidized. Uh, yeah, it's true. Do you guys see the pH top right final column on the on the right side? pH 8, 7.5, 9 when dry, 8. And then the topsoil from from Happy Frog, that 6.0 is not a happy 6.0. <laughs> so think about that. Remember the pH chart? Remember what's locked out and what's available where? We want to be 6.5 to 7, remember? So it's a big deal. So you could wait and have it transform. I'm going to move myself back up to the corner. Back to where I was. All right. So you could wait. This is with the whole thing that people are doing now. They're waiting like months, up to like six months for it to form the right fungal hyphae in the hot composting world. That's what best practices from Elaine's top students. It's, that's, that's the biocomplete. They're waiting for that moment. But who's got time for that, right? Who's got time? You could use effective microbes or, or the things that are in effective microbes because that's easy too. So remember this, the oxidation is the loss of energy. Well, oxidative versus fermentation. When we're turning the pile, we are adding air, meaning we're oxidizing it, meaning it's gassing off more CO2 than a car engine. 
hot composting is like running a diesel engine. So what like years ago, like that guy, Paul Stamets, I mean, no, no, not Paul Stamets, uh, Paul Wheaton brought up and would get so mad at him. Um, he likes saying things where people get mad at him. Uh, but, but it's like running a vehicle. And this is the thing. Fermentation is the opposite. So EM ferments. And I almost can too, but but first off, let's do what is EM, okay? So effective microbes, they're trademark name and product, but the microbes are not trademarks. They're, they're for you, they're for me, they're for everybody, they're everywhere in small amounts. And when we ramp it up, we see incredible things happen. So I wouldn't get the EM one. It's only guaranteed to have the lactobacillus casei. Uh, and um, it's awesome. It's CCOF, USDA, organic. I would get the pro EM. You're like, it's more expensive or DIY it. You know, we'll get to that. So it's a liquid probiotic for people and it's USDA certified CCOF uh, and it's all of this. So it's lactobacilli. It is uh, beer yeast. Notice the cervicea, um, cerevisia. Um, and then uh, rhodosodomonas palustris. That is the key ingredient. And I know yeasts are very important. Yes, we'll get into that too. But rhodosodomonas palustris is the one that facilitates all of those others um, doing their thing in this form and staying in this form. Rhodosodomonas palustris is one of the most important microbes on earth. Without it, life would not have evolved. So this is a very powerful but simple brew. Uh, and this is, it's, I mean, it's mostly yeast. I mean, look at it. This is the EM1. That's the yeast at 1,000x. They're fat and happy. The glowing ones have phosphorus in them. Hey, hey, let's go. So uh, YEM. Well, they're selected endophytes. They complete photosynthesis within the plant. Um, and they also release CO2. And the particular endophytes we're talking about literally can release up to 50% of the CO2 used by the plants in photosynthesis. Half from the air, half from the endophytes inside them, the yeasts releasing CO2 as they digest the excess sugars. This is the real deal. You have plants that don't have a proper microbiome digestion, the yeasts and other endophytes, don't get me wrong, it's not just them. And they aren't able to digest all the sugars, so they get stressed and have all the sugar-related stress and then the bugs come and eat them or the fungi gets inside them. It's really this simple. And when you understand the way things work, it's, it's shocking. People in my courses have these huge paradigm shifts and, and they recognize the world that they live in is completely different. So they complete the nitrogen photosynthesis. So you've got nitrates, you've got other forms of nitrogen. They're going to turn them into amino acids and give you energy. And then they're going to release nitrogen inside the plant. And you could call it nitrogen fixation. But they also are, are, are pushed around and cir circulated within the plant and can end up in the, the, the hairs. And they fix nitrogen there as well. So it's, it's, it's a bundle of things. I just want to differentiate a little bit. And they're immuno immunological triggers. Once this happens, the plant is like on guard and they're healthier than they've ever been or could be. So yeasts, there's thousands of yeast types inside of plants. Uh, sugar cane and rice and corn 
it's so well studied. It's wild. And the um, indole acetic acid production that originally the vinegars and acids were seen as bad by like the soil food web community. Um, I have a whole long quote from Elaine about, about how they're bad, but they're actually key and fundamental and vital for the plant's health. And it just took years for it all to be um, fully mapped out. Purple non-sulfur bacteria, Rhodosodomonas palustris, looks like this. This is the only other images that, um, I mean, it's Dr. Carolyn, who's retired from University of Washington, UW, that um, is the other person that's putting images of purple non-sulfur bacteria on the internet. And they're basically close-ups of the same exact image. So it's really incredibly important uh, to recognize that not only am I doing this, and there's very few places to see this in actuality, but I can teach you how to do this. Uh, and so <laughs> these are considered the most abundant endophytes, yet people aren't even working with them and don't even realize they're important. People are lambasting these microbes for years Lactic acid bacteria, it's part of the entire life cycle of many plants. It's wheat here in this study, right? But the plants, why? Helps them process their nitrogen. Excess nitrogen, nitrates, that calls in pests. Excess sugars in monosaccharides, simple sugars, calls in pests. And the molds and, and the fun, fungal attacks and pathogens, they're all just telling us that our plants aren't getting what they need. That's all they are doing. And so we are at the cusp of a huge renaissance. And, you know, on top of that, EM is going to be taking, um, let me move myself here. Put myself in the middle this time. So lactic acid, this is from, uh, this is from my book, um, The Permaculture Student 2. So EM has the ability to ferment organic substances and prevent putrefaction. So they're literally fermenting these things. So they're making amino acids and polysaccharides instead of nitrates and ammonia happening. They're, they're making these beneficial amino acids that are literally doing the work for the plant and giving it energy. And so they're saving plants, saving water, plants, saving energy. You can do other things with that. And then the carbon dioxide that would normally be gassed off, EM literally is turning into a polysaccharide, which can just be absorbed by the microbes. And so a polysaccharide, not a monosaccharide. Again, it's the transference from problematic forms of carbon and nitrogen into beneficial forms. And so this is, this is what's going on. This is why everyone is all about EM. Oh. And so because we're eating up all the nitrogen and, and fermenting it, or some people that originally like back in the day pickling it, right? Um, it, it, you don't get as hot. It's like a governor on your pile. So EM comp compost versus hot compost, they're completely different. Um, you retain your size, the nutrients, there's less turning. And not only that, you can prove it to yourself. You can see that these things, you can look at it under the microscope. You can look at it on, on all these tests. You can trace the nitrogen levels as they change. Now, vermicompost, it's very similar. It's oxidized and alkaline usually. So what if we combined everything? Hot, worm, static, Johnson Sioux is that. And so Johnson Sioux is awesome. This is from regenerative soil. All these images are from regenerative soil. Um, and it is a static 
hot compost that you then add worms to once it's cooled down and then you have a go for a year. And it has the highest fungal numbers. It's really, truly incredible. Okay, the subsoil in comparison. The neighborhood leaves have next levels waiting for you. This is just leaves. So don't get so fancy sometimes. Just try it. Just, just go with the flow. See what, what feedback nature has for you. Just keep it simple. Now, compost extracts. The compost teas tend to be more bacterial dominant, oxidized, and alkaline, which is, you know, no brainer because you're bringing in air constantly and oxidizing things. You probably already suspected that. So we just do it faster. We just do it in under an hour, right? We do it for an hour, and that's the extract. And it's the same, you know, ingredients, same recipes. These are great. So how does it work, though? Well, is it this? Is that primary? No. <laughs> the rhizophagy cycle is primary. Those exudates that go out, they get sucked back in. And so as those microbes are being grown and promoted at that root tip, the meristem cells absorb the microbes and bring them into the root itself. And then they bombard those microbes with superoxide, again, oxygen, releasing their energy and their nutrients inside them, removing their, their, their actual, um, their membranes so that they have no cell walls. So they like literally are then losing their mostly electrolytes. And, and then the ones that survive repopulate their membranes, their cell walls, and they get pushed out of the root hairs. And actually this process creates root hairs. And it was proven that if you don't have rhizophagy happening, you do not form root hairs. And so this happens always and plants all do this. And so some, most of them are destroyed. Some of them survive and repopulate at the root tips. But this is primary. Mycorrhizal fungi only happens when mycorrhizal fungi is there. Rhizophagy always happens when microbes are there, always. And it happens the moment they send their first root out of the seed. And this is what the root hair looks like. It's pretty easy to verify. The root hair is pushing out the bacteria that survived that crazy process. And all this is creating organic matter. What about AMF? Hold that thought. Okay, we'll get back to it. So they need habitat. Biochar is a great habitat. Check out this. The shimmering, the movement of the biology on the surface of this, it's not fully burned wood. It's biochar, compost. And so you can see the bits of black that's like obsidian, and you can see just the sparkling activity of the bacteria and fungi on the surface. Fungi, you know, uh, when we're talking about the hyphae, it is going to be connecting all the biochar as fast as possible. It loves biochar because it's great at holding water, which fungi needs. It's great at holding life, which fungi communicates with and works with. These are living circuits and organic batteries. So biochar is an essential. It holds three times its mass in water. It's a no brainer. Now rock dust. Microbes go crazy 
around rock dust. They just go nuts. So basalt is best. 75% of all volcanic soils are basalt. And it's because of the, so the surface area. The surface area is so high, it creates a little force field around it. This is why a lot of like really fine minerals are hydrophobic. But once you break that down, they go crazy. Biofertilizers. So this, these are the microbes. The microbes that fertilize plants are actually called biofertilizers, not the, the fermentation in the big barrel that permaculture talks about. The microbiome of the world is depleted and we need to bring it back. Those biofertilizers that help us digest within us, the, the ones that di help plants digest within them, we need to bring that back because there's a relationship between them, as you might imagine. So whether they're fixing nitrogen, diazotrophs, or they're mobilizing or solubilizing phosphorus, there is a microbe that does it. And then rhizobia. This is what I was talking about where it's in the nodule. It's right there. See the red? This is up close. And then arboscular mycorrhizal fungi. This partners with the roots. Mycorrhizal. Rhizo. Root mycofungal. Arboscular is tree-shaped, tree but we won't get into how that... That's an art... In, in some ways, an artifact. Um, so this is how we were people were drawing and communicating about mycorrhizal fungi. This is how it actually looks. So the, the, the accumulation of phosphorus is 10,000 times the ambient soil. That's why it glows. And you can see so clearly the, the fungal hyphae working its way through the root and around the root cells. This is at a different stage. And so you have to understand the stage that you're looking at to understand why it looks the way it looks. Our buscular mycorrhizal fungi are responsible for a third of all sequestered carbon in our soils globally. can account for 47% of the carbon in the soil. So... Um, and that's northern temperate. It's more where it's more like wetlands and stuff, um, like Norway and Denmark and stuff like that, or Canada. It's wild. It is literally, arguably, the most important fungi, though everyone has a really important role. That's the thing. We can't like, we can't like create hierarchies and be like, well, just the one. No, we got to like bring in these guys, make room for the indigenous microorganisms as IMOs I was talking about. And, 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 and get these partnerships and things restarted and let nature fill in the gaps. Notice that it's more fungal as it gets more acidic. Fungal abundance is in humid, acidic climates. And then endophytes. So uh, these are the, the, the microbes that are inside the plants. And they're so critically important. They have all these different functions. And we literally can go and look. There they are. There's the fungi inside the phloem. And you're like, wait, what? Do you see how it's the outside of the circle? See how it's the outside of the circle? Yeah, we can see these things. So why is this important? Because we are constantly absorbing new information about the world around us and adapting at a microbiological level. That has direct influence over our genetic expression, how we feel, uh, whether we have vibrant health or not, directly deals with the microbiological relationships that our plants have. Whether we're eating the animals that ate the plants or we're eating the plants, it's, you can't get around it. The food molecules and nutrients, and like they influence and trigger the epigenetic expression of our body, literally. The microbes digest our food for us, inside of us. But so do the plants require this. So are your soils and plants inoculated with the right biology for your needs? 
because you can't get away from them, that relationship. It's always going to be there. So get your, get your microbes, start, start scaling up, start brewing. It's the biology, it's the minerals, it's the water and air, it's the organic matter, it's the photosynthesis, it's regenerative soil. Oh yeah, and by the way, this is that uh, arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi right there, AMF. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's about. So what can we expect if we partner with the biology, if we make our soils get better and better every year by attending to those factors in a way that's harmonious and aligned? We're going to see pest and infection and virus disease immunity. They're not going to be able to break in because they only digest the problems. They digest the ex when there's excess nitrates, that's when they come. When there's excess simple sugars, that's when they come. When there is a lot of polysaccharides, they're good. They're strong. When there's a lot of amino acids and proteins, they're strong. High nutrient density goes right along with that. It's the nutrient density that makes for a strong wall of protection. They're one thing. And faster maturation rates and higher yields because they have more building blocks more regularly. They're more efficiently using their energy. They're immunologically superior. And, and, and you are able to respond in real time to their needs because you can read that plant. You can read that soil. And then there's an increased secondary metabolite release. So the medicinal qualities, the aromatics, the terpenes, the flavonoids, um, all the medicinal compounds, those are increased in our plants. And there's a massive decrease in fertilizer inputs. And I, I, I'm saying all fertilizer inputs, you might need to be putting less manure even, right? And so this is really important because the microbes themselves make manures, right? So, and those micro manures are much more, uh, they're already processed. They're already micro, you know, micro, micronized. And you look at the giant, you know, pile of manure that we have to work in and compost and all those things. The microbes already have done that for us. So this is why people are seeing higher levels of organic matter levels from plants than from just adding compost. And it's less work over time because the plants, the microbes do it better. They do it at a faster rate, a higher rate. And when the soil gets better and better over time, you have less inputs. You have less weeding. You have less work. You have a higher yield. You're earning more. And all these things exponentially take off. So if you want to learn more, stay tuned for the live Q&A. And join us next week, same time, same day. And we're about to do a giveaway after our Q&A. So stay tuned for that. Um, I know a lot of people have this book, um, but many of you don't and you need this book. Or you win it and share it with a friend because you know they need that book, right? I know many people buy these books, they buy two or three of them and they're giving them out to everyone they care about because they want them to have healthy soil because that's healthy plants and healthy bodies and healthy families and healthy communities, healthy cultures. It all depends upon the soil. We are literally, as soil becomes depleted, we are teetering and becoming more and more fragile. So you can learn more about all this uh, at regenerativesoilscience.com and just type that in. It's a lead link. So it'll transform into my regular thing. It's, 
I don't know how to set it up yet. So it's a, not a lead link, but just type in those words, regenerativesoilscience.com, and it'll take you there. So next week is biology is the key to all fertility. As you've noticed, I hinted at it with the endophytes. I hinted at it with the we'll deep dive. We'll talk about the actual microbes, the all-stars, the key linchpins, the, the pieces that are necessary for your soil, your site, your farm, garden, operation, composting, maybe. I have a lot of compost companies I help. So stick around, join us. It's going to be great because the future is literally in our hands. It's not in their hands. It's not, you know, in some mandate. It's not in some carbon tax. The reality is we can sequester all this. The right actions, they aren't even approaching the right actions. And once we understand how it really is, it becomes plain and obvious that we're being taken for a ride. And uh, it's time that we get off and we head for that regenerative future. Thank you for being here. I'm Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively. Woo! All right. And I will see you guys next week, next Thursday. Okay?